Hello and welcome to the Promise Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc., and watch us on YouTube twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment, join the community as well, and follow us on Twitter to talk all things Manchester United and more at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Rob, how are you today? It's Friday morning, fresh off the back of a... What a win that was against Sheriff uh, in the Europa League. Uh, massive three points sets up an absolutely massive match next Thursday, I believe, against Real Sociedad, where United have to win by two goals to win the group and avoid a Champions League dropout team uh, after Christmas as the Europa League resumes, but they have qualified for at least the last 32 as it stands. Uh, plenty to unpack today, Rob. How are you doing? Not too bad. The morning after the night before, and obviously the Europa League's a, a late night, uh, and we're early mornings with the podcast. But um, yeah, I, I think with the Europa League, everyone knows how perennially bored I get of it. But I think what we saw last night was some really interesting stuff, both tactically and with the attitude of the team. And as you've just said there now, uh, well positioned to go into the final games where United wanted to be with the opportunity of winning the group. Uh, but a, a, a decent performance, decent stage management for Man United and obviously a few surprises in that game, which we'll talk about today. Yeah, which which surprise are you talking about? Are you talking about Anthony Spin, Many of them. Or are you talking about Garnacho? Or <laughs> we'll talk about those things today. We'll talk Ronaldo. We'll talk a bit of Harry Maguire, Marcus Rashford, and uh, look forward to the West Ham game as well. But also, obviously, there is a situation regarding contracts, which needs to be addressed in 2023 or possibly before. I think Ericton Hag has said that they will make the club will make decisions about who gets renewed. Uh, over the World Cup, uh, now that they've had, you know, half a season or maybe just shy of half a season to uh, see how the first team squad are adapting to his methods, etc., etc. David De Gea has been in the news this week with his deal. Obviously, he's out of contract in 2023. You know, I'd have a year's extension to trigger if they wish, but should they do it? We'll talk about him. We'll talk about Diogo Costa as well, who is someone that we spoke about, Rob, on this podcast about two months ago, probably. I think uh, maybe six weeks. We'll see. But we'll talk about that today. Uh, and obviously, yes, you can subscribe where I just told you you can subscribe. So uh, scroll back a minute or so uh, to find out where you can find us. But Rob, let's uh, unpack the Sheriff win. It was, uh, you know, you, you obviously expect Man United to win this one easily. But the Man United of recent years make mountains out of molehills. Didn't do that this time. It was very much uh, full control for the duration. And it took them a little while to get the first goal. But once it did come, it was, uh, yeah, we could have been on for another Ammonia at Old Trafford game from a few weeks ago. But it wasn't the case. United, much more comfortable tonight. Yeah, besides the result, you're looking for United now, aren't you? To be better game managers, to have that frivolous element to their play kind of eradicated and better connectivity on the pitch and better ideas and better uh, maturity on the ball. And we saw those things. So the result was acceptable at the end of the day. I think Ten Hag described it afterwards when he was asked, what did you think of the performance? He said, I thought the performance was okay. 
And I quite like that because that's kind of how I felt. When you say, okay, it might sound very, a very bland response, but it wasn't perfect. There were parts of the game that weren't particularly great, but United are managing these situations so much better. Just remember the basket case version of Manchester United in the last year or two. This is the kind of game where they would have made a meal of it, wasn't it? It'd have been nil-nil with, with like 20 minutes to play and we're all going, it's going to be second in the Europa League if you're lucky here going to end up playing Barcelona or Juventus in the in the two-legged playoff so I think that overall it was as I said a, an okay performance I agree with Eric but there were some little bits and pieces that we'll talk about today which were not great yeah it's important that United win the group obviously they have to go to Spain and win by two goals because uh, Real Sociedad have scored more I think it comes down to if they're level on points at the end of the group it comes down to goals Goal difference uh, and United are losing that at the moment. They obviously lost the reverse against uh, Real Sociedad in the opening game of the group. And they have an uphill battle, but it, obviously they're capable of winning this game, I think. But we'll just have to see how they uh, how they manage over the next few weeks. And, you know, at least the, the, the plan is clear. Uh, sometimes when you're a team who just needs a draw, it can be, you know, you can be caught in between like, how far do we go? How far do we sit back? Whereas United just know that the job is you've got to win by X. And does that make it easier? Yeah, I think it does. And I think it's it's always the case with United that, you know, you're away from home. You can go and play more your natural game. You can play on the counter a bit more. And we're starting to see that United are now less perturbed by having to press in games. So they're playing much higher up the pitch. So even against Sheriff played so much higher in that kind of what we're seeing now, that 4-1-5 where, where the, the forwards really overload at the top end of the pitch and they look comfortable doing it now. So I think you can go to Spain and you can play that kind of game and get your forwards into attacking positions. What we've seen in United in the past is that that just wasn't a thing, was it? You were not playing through midfield. You were not playing to the attack. So you went to these situations thinking, how are United even going to create and score goals? But you saw last night that I think they're starting to rectify that. We know long-term that the addition of a striker is vital to, to this project. But it's so good, I think, just to see that these players have some cohesion between them now. And I'm not particularly frightened at all about this final game. I think they can go there, win, and win well. You mentioned strikers there and cohesion. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo comes back in. Uh <laughs> Perhaps the, the worst example of cohesion uh, that we're talking about in this team at the moment. But uh, obviously started the game, got his goal in the end because we obviously know that him scoring a goal was the most important thing to happen last night. Uh, Ronaldo got his goal with his uh, new celebration as Rob is demonstrating there. Do you have any idea what that's about, by the way? I think I saw someone say that he's saying to his haters... Don't, I am know, not. You, you, don't you write me sleep, off. I'm not. Though, yeah, you can sleep on. Don't sleep on me. You know, you sleep yeah. on me, you guys. Um, but yes, uh, such a, a wonderful, inventive celebration. <laughs> Ronaldo obviously started the game. Still does that thing where he drops in and like is always looking for the mm. ball to shoot from 50 yards or whatever it is. There. But I think one thing I noticed last night was you know how Ronaldo was always first to take the ball for a free kick? Mm. It looked to me like Christian Eriksen won a free kick at some point. Uh, I can't remember which half it was in, but Twitter, my Twitter timeline was, Ronaldo, get off this ball, get off this ball, don't you dare pick this up, <laughs> yeah. put, it, put it down. 
Ericsson <laughs> took that off him and yeah. and just said, no, it's mine. And would that have happened three weeks ago? Absolutely not. And I think I said on my United uh, Masterclass podcast, I said, I want Ten Hag to sort that bit out. So I don't want it just to be Bruno and Ronaldo saying, well, no, no, we take everything. We decide who takes what because we're the alpha males in the team. No, it should be the manager making that choice. And I agree with you what you said there. I think that I saw that. I saw that Ericsson get the ball and I thought, definitely looks like Ericsson's been told, you're taking the first free kick tonight when it's in that position because he took it. And Ronaldo took the second, didn't he, later on in the game, which, you know, both weren't particularly Obviously, I, I, said, I said to my partner, Watch him, watch him pick the ball up and smash it at the wall. <laughs> and then it hits the wall and goes out for a throw. But um, yeah, I didn't, do you know what? Christian Eriksen was speaking before the game as well in a, in a section mm. with BT. And he was asked about the Ronaldo situation. And he kind of just said, yeah, we, we back the manager. Obviously the manager has seen the situation and dealt with it in the way that he sees fit. And that's the right way to go about it. I think the Ronaldo knows now that by walking off, he seems to have, lost a little bit of the aura that he had. And I think that was the moment for me where I, that it was confirmed. Do you know? Definitely. And and I think this is the wind of change whistling. You can hear it in the background. Cause I think this is the thing with Cristiano is that the more he's the focus and that we're going to talk about him today, obviously, and there's reasons for that, but the more that he's the focus, the less, kind of focus United have, I think, as a team. I really do believe that. I think those things correlate. I think they they are linked. Um, so it's interesting that Ericsson said that because I, I think that United's players now have bought into the idea and the concept that if they're not a team, if they're not together on the pitch, that they're going to lose games. Mm-hmm. And I think that this manager has hammered that into them now. Like we're, not, like, we're not in six weeks in the project now, are we? We're getting into months already. We're already getting to that point where people are being reminded of this idea at Carrington over and over again. I think with Cristiano, that minute of walking off, yes, is a big blow up in terms of the press and for the fans and whatever. But I think the fact that that he did that, he did that to his teammates, to his work colleagues, and they're not going to like it. They won't say anything to him. There's not going to be arguments about it. But like you just said there, I think Ericsson, Ericsson very much as a Ten Hag man, isn't he? he's come in, mm. come to work for Eric Ten Hag, you know, maybe Eric Ten Hag was it here. Ericsson might not have signed a deal with Man United. But you're seeing, I think, these players now buying in. Marcus Rashford as well before the game said, I think we're getting it. And after the game said, just feels like we understand what we're doing a little bit more now. So when someone like Marcus says that, I think you have to listen because it's kind of part of the heart and soul of the football club. Um, but yeah, Cristiano, he gets his goal. You just said there about the checking out. I, I, it's bizarre. There's, it's definitely not a tactic. For him to play in what started off, as I said, in this kind of 4-1-5 four, four, with, the, with the attack high up. And then your centre forward, who is not particularly mobile, not particularly creative, doesn't particularly join the dots, decides to just drop out the box 30 yards consistently over and over again. And I was watching the game and I was like, what is he doing? Like, well, that's not, he's not been told to do that. He's just deciding to do that. So he did that. And how... It was rectified was that in the second half, Rashford came on, played as a 10. And then when Ronaldo went a little bit roaming here, there and everywhere, it meant that you had someone at least with striking principles from the number 10. Obviously, Bruno went to the right hand side coming on for Anthony. 
But he gets his goal, like you said. That makes all of Viva Ronaldo's very, very happy. And and I'm happy. If he scores a goal, you know, yay. I want him to score goals. I don't want him to fail in a Man United shirt. Certainly not. But you could see the tactical deficiencies in Ronaldo's game in, in this match. But we do see this consistently. There's no chance he's going to start West Ham. Absolutely zero, zero chance. Because he won't be, able, won't be able to do that against the Premier League team. Because they'll just defend him easily. You know, they won't even, they'll let him drop out and go, off you go then, mate. We'll just stay here and, and look after the territory. So, um, a good night for Ronaldo. I'm sure he's happy. He got, you know, he managed to do his celebration and make a little point and a little statement uh, and United win the game and he helps us win the game. Yeah, it's important as well that I suppose the the whole chapter of the storming off, it won't be forgotten, obviously, but it has been dealt with and moved on from. United have five games, I think, five games now before the World Cup. Mm. We'll probably see him. I don't know. I think we'll see him in a bench roll for the majority of the next few weeks because Marcus Rashford's looking quite sharp. Maybe he'll start up front. Uh, Obviously, we don't know how far off uh, full fitness Anthony Martial is, but I think once he is back and fit, he'll he'll be the go-to up front, at least for now anyway. Um, Alejandro Garnacho also putting in his... uh, staking a claim for a start in the in the upcoming weeks as well but we'll, we'll talk about him in a second Rob I just wanted to we have to mention the Anthony Ant- Antony I think is called uh, the spin which has sent everybody insane <laughs> honestly like the pun honestly what is going on they were they had more of a problem with Anthony doing a spin than Ronaldo walking off they had more of a problem with it I thought it was funny I know, yeah, and it, yeah, fair enough. Like he, he passed the ball, he went a bit two yards like uh, ahead of Casemiro, went out of play. I thought it was funny. The game was boring. You know, it, it, if if it's the last minute of the match and it's nil nil and you're trying to win the game, and Anthony goes and does his little spinny thing on the side of the pitch in the 89th minute, I might be a bit upset about it. I might be like, please don't do that then. But it was in the time of the match where. Things were flowing okay. United looked okay. And actually, the final ball that he played, yeah, it wasn't completed in the end, but it was actually a really good idea, good pass. You could say that he created that himself by taking some of that um, spotlight onto himself, letting someone mm-hmm. run off him. You could say that. You really could. So, yeah, the the kind of um, explosion of opinion around that kind of stuff, and said Paul Scholes specifically after the game, kind of call him a, a clown quite strong really you know he's a clown you know shouldn't do this you know it's not and I think he's also said he was said that you know he's a Brazilian you know Brazilians want flair football and all that and he was like you wouldn't even see it in Brazil Paul just Paul needs to go home put his feet up have a have a Horlicks you know maybe you know have a cigarette and relax because he's a bit old school with that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter, Paul. It really doesn't. And I think that, that it's nice to have players, I think, that that want to entertain and show that they're United players. But, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, is it? As you said, they were literally said before the game, Ronaldo, oh, I totally understand why he feels <laughs> like that, why he, would, why he would disgrace the club and walk off the football pitch. Yeah, I'm, to- I'm all right with that. And then at uh, halftime... How dare he? Final whistle. He's a clown. You can't do that in English football. It's like, oh my God, please get your values correct. 
I, th- I think it's just the the way that punditry is nowadays. You know, having yeah. to be. I know we're we're not pundits, Rob. We're you know journalists and fans, but the the way that punditry is going nowadays with the social media shares yeah. and like engagements and all this kind of stuff, you've got to say something which which will tick a lot of people off or mm. just be a little bit ridiculous. We had Robbie Savage on commentary shouting for Anthony be, to be taken off. And he was brought off at halftime. Obviously pre-planned. United were winning. Yeah. But no, yeah. no, this is about Anthony doing a spin. Come on. Honestly. It, it, I, I do think like with my production background, you see these little things in people's ears where producers talk to pundits. And I'm not saying that pundits are steered, but pundits are steered, I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> they that's, are. That's, what, that's how it works. So it, I, I, I sometimes look at, ex-pros or kind of you know the top end pundits and you can actually almost see that the opinion is already formulated before the question is uh, posed to them it's quite often not just a, a, a natural organic reaction it is it is something that's being discussed off air um and yeah i just don't get it like you know yeah someone might be saying in there please defend ronaldo in this segment and they defend ronaldo and someone might be saying in there let's do the Anthony thing, the spinny Rooney thing. Let's do that. Uh, okay. That's the script. But for me, I was glad that Anthony got some minutes off because he's played virtually every minute since he arrived at the football club. Uh, and I liked what Ten Hag said afterwards about his game when he was obviously addressing that point and saying, what I, what annoyed me about Anthony was that I want him to run behind more. I want him to take that space and dominate it more. I want him to be able to do the things that I'm telling him to do. I'm not overly that bothered about the spinny thing. That's kind of what he said. And I agree with that. I think I think Anthony looked a little bit tired or a bit jaded yesterday. So 45 minutes was probably about right for him. Yeah, he will start against West Ham, I'm sure. Will Alejandro Garnacho start against West Ham? I know, Rob, we've had this conversation on the podcast over the past, well, this year, actually, because there was a point where United's first team players were just not pulling their weight at all. And yeah. there was a bring the kids in, uh, line of conversation which we had on a couple of shows I think it was Garnacho yeah. though you know played quite well you, you you called him player of the match in your eyes um, I think he was certainly one of the contenders he looked like he was not afraid to take people on he can go come inside he can go outside he beat his man a number of times uh, still a young lad but that was his first United start I believe it would have been nice to see him grab a goal, but obviously it wasn't to be. But I think quite noticeable. I thought he'd get a lot, of, a lot more time on the preseason tour of Australia and Thailand. And I mm. think there was some some attitude issue or some disciplinary issue, which was never never came to the public eye. I don't think exactly what it was, but I think that Ten Hag was teaching him a lesson early on. And he said, as we spoke about off air, Rob, that there's been some kind of issue there which has stopped him getting minutes, but something has changed in training recently is that right yeah and and we said that all the way through the tour didn't we we were like it's a bit weird that like Garnacho's not getting minutes and then it was like James Garner he's obviously come back to the club to lots of fanfare James Garner obviously was shown the door very very quickly wasn't he was out the door so it's a funny thing with attitude because it's not always a case about whether a player goes in and goes into training goes to Carrington and 
like does the business it's quite often just a case of like the the basic ethics around their game isn't it of being able to be fit and ready and i think that's always the big thing for it for young players i don't think it's a ravel morrison situation you know where there's so much going on on off the pitch that it's a problem i think we've got actually you know I, I always say and i stick with it because it's it is a bit old school united that if you're if you're Old, good enough you're old enough you can do these things you know you're you're almost a man at that age you've just got to start going playing the game and getting used to these circumstances I think he showed last night he's got all the faculties needed to be a Manchester United player starter as well and I think I put after the game on Twitter Jaden Sancho watch your back because as much as we want Jaden Sancho to thrive and be the number seven and take the club forward and be a major part of that at the moment Jaden Sancho's form stinks so Jaden Sancho is stinking the room out. You've got to give other players chances. And United haven't got a lot of options in that part of the park. I think Garnacho is your most versatile option there. But did all the work out the box, Scott? You know, didn't didn't leave any of the space behind. Dribbled with the ball, was brave. And I just like the way, the tempo that he played at. So when he had the ball, he wasn't going sideways or like, you know, I'm a kid, I can't do this. So I'm just going to give the ball to someone else. Luke Shaw, come help me later in the second half. No, I think what we saw was a guy who really wanted it. And does he start against West Ham? It's a bigger jump, obviously, to a Premier League match and a Europa League game, obviously. But I think he's now an option there that you could give him minutes. Uh, and that helps that front line out, doesn't it? Because we've talked about goals being a problem. Garnacho is a goal scorer as well. So if you can get him in the box, helping the striker and being part of that, 415 that suits him perfectly that system is almost built for someone like Garnacho. yeah we'll see he's only 18 but that was his first United start we've seen him get minutes before obviously he's done incredibly well for the youth team in recent uh recent months and years so it's nice to see that he's now been given his chance because I think a lot of United fans have wanted him to get that opportunity for a long time now it just so happens that it's come around I think he probably be considered within the reckoning. I, I think I doubt he'll start on Sunday. I think Sancho will come mm. back in, but you know, he's obviously an option there now. And if Ten Hag wants to make a statement of if you're not playing well enough, if you're, you know, if you if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. If he wants to stand by those values, then there's no reason why Garnacho shouldn't start. I don't think he will. I think Sancho will come back in, but we'll we'll see. Uh and Marcus Rashford should start, though he came on as a substitute and scored, played as a 10 to occupy the space that Cristiano Ronaldo just didn't want to play in. Uh, this is this is the issue. Like You can say all you want about Ronaldo and how great he is, but he, he doesn't stick. You, know, uh, you want a 37-year-old striker who's quite physical, who's not really, who's lost his sharpness, who's really smart, to sniff around the box, surely, especially in a game like that. So... It was interesting to see Rashford come on as a 10 and play that uh, yeah. to, to fill the gap that Ronaldo was continually continually vacating. It's just weird. Like, that's, that's the way I was watching the game. And, and, and when I see that happen, I just think, you know, you're not a maverick and and get this idea out your head that you're 25 years old. Realise that you're good at certain things and so go and do those things and help the team. You know, if you're, if you're Zlatan Ibrahimovic, yeah, drop in and out the box. That's always been your game. That's what you do. You control the tempo from there. You play off players. You do it that way. Fine, do that. 
Cristiano's never done that. He's never been that kind of striker and never been good at it. Uh, I said, actually, after the game, I said, it's kind of like he's being trying to be like prime Messi because that's what Messi would do, drop off, get the ball, play one-twos, get in the box, score goals. It's like, well, Cristiano, it's not your game. You don't have to do that. But an interesting experiment with Rashford at the 10, uh, I was saying to you off camera, I don't think I've ever really seen Marcus play as a 10. I've seen him play absolutely every other role, left, right, centre, centre forward, obviously, more recent times. But it worked. And Ten Hag said after the game, you know, I wanted to see how Rashford would pair with, with uh, Ronaldo to see if they, they could correlate their movement together, if they could make that work. And what happened? They both scored in the second half. Um, Marcus Rashford, I think, gets a lot of stick that sometimes is deserved, but most of the time isn't. The boy is 24 years old and one goal off 100 goals for Man United. There's no mean feat. 100 goals at 24 years old. That's not normal. That's actually exceptional. So I know we always hear the narrative, Marcus Rashford doesn't score goals. Well, he can be frustrating, but you can also develop him. And I think that's what Ten Hag's seeing. You talked about contracts at the top of the show. For me, there's no doubt that Marcus Rashford is going to be one of those players that gets a deal. He's earned that deal. And if he doesn't go to the World Cup, there'll be something funny there. You know, I don't understand why Rashford wouldn't be in Southgate's plans when he's always been in that squad for years and years. Uh, and I'm really happy with his form. Like, I think when he came off the bench, he gave United an extra impetus. And what a header. You know, did you see last night, I'm going to mention this because I think it's pertinent, that, that Ronaldo, all the shots Ronaldo missed last night were all the ones that in recent weeks that Rashford's been missing. And people have been going, well, if that was Cristiano. <laughs> if that was Cristiano, and even I think Paul Scholes did it with it's almost like a drinking game, you know, take a shot every time someone says it. And it's uh and, and Scholes he said it before the game, he went, Well, you know, if that was Cristiano in that last minute, you know, I'm sure he'd have scored that header. Ronaldo missed all those chances yesterday, which are the chances that he allegedly scores. And yet the ball comes into the box, Marcus gets up, big strong header had a lot to do, puts it in the net. And he scored the goal that Cristiano normally scores. So it just goes to show with football, it is horses for courses that, that you get opportunities and you sometimes miss them. Interesting to see uh, Marcus Rashford, definitely that point on England you just made there, Rob, it, it would be crazy to me if he doesn't, doesn't take Marcus Rashford to the World Cup. Mainly yeah. because uh, he's obviously informed now, he's scoring goals, he's been Premier League Player of the Month. But he's a different option to all of the other forwards. Uh, probably all of the other forwards that England have. I can't think of, maybe Jamie Vardy was an old one who the, that, that threatened to get him behind. You know, all of England's other strikers don't have that same pace that Marcus Rashford does. No, and I think with Marcus as well, like he has an uncomplicated game. Now that's not trying to be backwards compliment towards him, but I think that you could drop him in your team, like with England, he's not been in the England squad for a little while. But he knows what to do. And you can play him off the left. You can play him off the right. You can play him as a striker if Harry Kane needs to drop out into the 10. There's there's all sorts of things you can do with Marcus Rashford. And, and as I said, I think some of the criticism over time has been deserved. You know, I think, I think that he's not had good form over the last year or two. But I also think some of that criticism is just wild. Like it's over the top. You know, that, that other players in the team who have played worse or as bad don't get nearly as much pelters as Marcus Rashford. But but Marcus Rashford, you know, the boy that feeds the poor and all of this, it all gets mixed up in, in the opinions of people. 
Um, and I'm just interested in what he does on a football pitch. And I don't believe that stuff that he does off the pitch like that and the good deeds and the philanthropy and the stuff with the government and whatnot affects his football. I just don't believe that. Um, and now we're thankfully seeing, I think, a new manager, new tactics. Marcus Rashford is thriving. Marcus Rashford turns 25 on Monday before our next show. So happy birthday to Marcus. Let's, let's hope that all of the difficulties of the last two years can be put behind him now and he can start focusing on fulfilling the potential that we all knew he had several years ago. And he looks fit, quite Scott. Patchy. Like, he does look fit. That's know? the difference. Like he, he, he played last year with that injury on and off and he came back from that like broken back, essentially broken neck and, and, just wasn't the same, just couldn't put the work in, could he? And I think we're just seeing an incremental rise in his fitness levels so he can now do the press more effectively. And that comes from Ten Hag. This is why I think Ten Hag deserves all the pats on the back at the moment because these players are responding to his methods. We think Diogo Dallo and uh, Marcus Rashford will have their contracts at least triggered with an extension, if not yeah. longer-term deals. Dallo's been linked with Barcelona in recent weeks. Uh, funny, but funny by the way. Uh, didn't want to mention uh, too much of Frankie de Jong on this show moving forward, but oh, well, poor Frankie's going to be joining United in the Europa League. Uh, poor Frankie, like, <laughs> Juventus but at might least fall it's out. Sunny, the... at least it's yeah. sunny in Barcelona. Juventus might fall out completely from Europe. I think they play PSG in their last game. They look an absolute disaster. <laughs> Paul Pogba's managed to pick two duds in a row uh, of European giants. Uh, and Atletico Madrid crashing out with one of the funniest. Uh, did you see that, by the way? The Atletico penalty, which was given okay. after the full-time whistle, and then they missed it, and they're now out of the Champions League. Very funny. Uh, United just, uh, you know trotting along, trying to build something from the ground up. But there are, um, in order to take the next steps in that project, they have some big decisions to make on contracts. And we'll talk David De Gea here because this is probably the biggest uncertain uncertainty, isn't it? This mm. one is, obviously United have had David De Gea, who's just broken 500 appearances for Man United. I think he's approaching clean sheet records as well for Man United. There's a lot of, He's won the player of the year for Man United more than I care to admit. It's just like, I think it's like five times or something like that. Yeah, That's awful times. for a goalkeeper, but it's also great for David De Gea. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's a damning indictment on Man United how their goalkeeper keeps winning the player of the year award. There's been some small improvements over the last few weeks in De Gea's distribution and this kind of thing, but it's not a natural fit for him. And the, obviously the talk this week is, that United have a decision to make on his contract. Possibly he re-signs on reduced terms. He's one of United's highest earners, I think, earning about £375,000 a week, maybe less than that after they missed out on the Champions League last season. But, you know, for his squad status and for his wage versus his status in the game as one of the world's best goalkeepers, it doesn't correlate at the moment. So something has to change there. Um and there's a goalkeeper which we talked about a few weeks ago on this podcast who is being scouted by Man United, who is saving penalties. Something David De Gea can't do is save penalties. At a ridiculous rate, Diogo Costa plays for Porto and is the new Portugal number one. You should see him at the World Cup. His distribution is on point. Uh, you can go back a few weeks in the Champions League to see him ping a ball to a player on the left wing 
who takes the ball, controls it and scores straight off the bat. The modern goalkeeper, the next Edison Allison to me, this looks. United got to me, Rob, we'll talk about this now. United, for me, it should be absolutely no room for sentiment here. United have to make... This is... Um, David here, brilliant player for the last 10 years, but I would not renew his contract. I would instead go and buy a goalkeeper like Diogo Costa. What do you think? Well, David De Gea is on £375,000 a week. Well, at least he was until that was reduced due to being out of the Champions League from last season. Um, I think I think De Gea is an interesting case because what you've seen, I think, is that, yes, he's still very weak on the ball. Yes, I think he's responding to the tactics of Ten Hag and trying to do some of that stuff. You know, it's uncomfortable, but you're seeing that the ball that he used to play several years ago has kind of come back into his game where he lifts the ball over the back four into a wing position. And and he's actually quite good at that. He's, he's always good at that. I used to watch him in training and at warm-ups and he used to practice it incessantly, playing that ping ball. And then it just stopped for years because you had Mourinho, you had other coaches that didn't want him to do that. And here we are now wanting to play out more from the back. So he's reintegrated that into his game. But you cannot get away from the fact that football has changed and that you need a goalkeeper that can do all that other stuff now. You just need it. You can't You can't get away with it. So I think it stands like this, is that his contract is up for renewal. I think he's got an extra year option as well, isn't it? The United there is a year option, yeah. yeah but so it wouldn't be on the same terms as he is now. So, so that's the problem, is that you would, you'd be triggering it and keeping him on the same terms. I think that's the big stickling point here. Uh, we're told that De Gea understands that he's been well remunerated over the time of his contract and understands that if he stays at Man United, it would be on a reduced deal and that he is willing. And that's the scary point because I think the Glazers might go, well, you know, if he's willing to take half a pay cut, you know, take half that wage away. Do we stick with him? Do we go with him? But I do think that Ten Hag will be pushing for a new goalkeeper. I think that's just the way it will be. I think the only way you keep De Gea is if that he does sign a, a contract on wildly reduced terms to become the number two. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's where he'll want to be. I think he'll want to continue playing. Who doesn't? But if he was so happy in Manchester, didn't want to go back, there wasn't an obvious path to him to a top club that he might say, yeah, I'll fight for my spot here, bring in a, a kind of young upstart. And when I get my chances, I'll prove that I should be the number one. There is always that option. We're not even talking about Dean Henderson anymore, are we? You know, there's 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 that question to be answered throughout the end of the season isn't it see where what happens with Henderson so it's up in the air a little bit but I agree with you I think that the time for De Gea has come and gone I think he's been outstanding you said five-time player of the season embarrassing yet on him he's kept United in that top six conversation during the period of his lifetime at the football club when other players haven't so he will never get a bad rap from me for that you know I think his limitations are his limitations and you decide to either go with another goalkeeper well you don't but I do think that the time will come pretty soon where Ten Hag will want someone to do that it's the same like Maguire and Lindelof you know we talked about them being slow it's not that they're the worst footballers on planet earth it's just that they cannot fulfill the function of what you're doing in the way that say Martinez can so Martinez and Varane are your starters. It just becomes natural. I think that's where we are with De Gea is eventually you'll just be like, we need a goalkeeper that can play out from the back. We need someone that can save penalties. We need someone that can impact the game differently. So therefore you go and get Costa. I know you love Costa, Scott. And I think that I think he's the prime 
replacement at the moment. I think he's the name. But there are other players in, in the game that you can look at, someone like Saar from Wolves. You can look at in uh, Sanchez from Brighton. They would both be quite costly options, I think, still. So would this, is, this is the, the thing. I think they'd probably be as costly as Diogo Costa yeah. will be because they're Premier League clubs. Yeah, and I think Edison and Allison did prove when they came to the Premier League, there was a lot of, from people like me, well, will they adjust to the Premier League? You know, they're not the biggest. They, you know, can they do this at the other? You know, one's at Roma, you know, you know, the, the standards are different. And they came in, they're both great and have been great ever since. So I think if you get the right player to fit the system, then it works. It's not someone trying to, you know, run uphill, is it? So I think Costa would be a sensational side. It just depends, Scott, what United want to do in terms of their investment in other parts of the pitch. You need a striker. You're probably going to need a right back or a backup right back or a Malaysia type player. Uh, you might need another centre-back, depending on what happens with the Chuckle Brothers at centre-backs who, who will be playing more games together as the weeks and months go forward. So those options are still there. And it's up, you know, the Frankie de Jong thing might creep up on you again. And you might go, we do actually want him and we do want to spend £80 million. Hey, Frankie, let's rescue you from Catalonia. You don't want to play in the Europa League for that club. You want to play in the Europa League for us. That could happen in the next few weeks. Let's see what happens. But... This is all about money now, isn't it? Get what money would the Glazers put up for that? I do think Costa is going to be the number one target, and it's going to be more, I think, at the end of the season going into the summer. Yeah, United, of all the teams, really, that have a goalkeeper on their agenda, I think you look at the likes of Tottenham, who have Hugo Lloris, Juventus, who could maybe upgrade from Chesney. They're not going to be able to offer the same terms no. that United are. I think this is a... you. Think back, right? And you mentioned there when the changes were made. This is how far behind the curve United have been. In 2016, I think it was, Pep Guardiola kicked out Joe Hart because he couldn't play the ball with his feet and got in Claudio Bravo. Yes, Claudio yeah. Bravo was a disaster for Man City, but within a year, he'd been replaced by Edison. That's how far... And he was really ahead of quick. the curve in England. But there were yeah. people asking questions about, oh, why is he doing that to this legend of Man City? I know. It's the same thing, but eight years on. It's the same thing. And, it's, on. and that's the way you have to operate. Like, I think I, like Joe Hart was exactly no, what I was thinking about at, at, <laughs> at the top of the show. <laughs> I was thinking about Joe Hart at the top of the show and how Joe Hart described that uh, conversation with Pep Guardiola. And he said it afterwards when Pep Guardiola just came up to me and said, you can't do what I want you to do. So it's not that I don't like you or I think you're rubbish. I think you're good at what you do. But you can't do what I want. So I'm letting you go. I'm pushing you away. I'm pushing you out out the club and you saw it i think as well with other positions with guardiola with sanya and cliche is that sanya he's like sanya you're going to play central now from the from the left and the right and sanya was like what sanya failed obviously so you go out and eventually you end up with a concello that's how you do it you work your way through it to get to what you need so i think that's where what ten Hag is kind of doing with the squad in every position, but I think De Gea will fall under that as well. And and eventually it would just be a case of you can't do what we want you to do. So therefore we're not doing it like this anymore. So you go and get the players that can help you. And that's the same with Ronaldo, top end of the pitch, isn't it? Ronaldo, you can score a few goals now and then, but you're kind of wild. You kind of do all the stuff you want to do because you're the greatest player of all time. But we need a striker that runs in straight lines, that presses, that set traps, that helps the other players around him. And we're going to go and buy this player who does that. You know, this is this, and there's options obviously there with the likes of Ivan Tony and Osman and other players we've talked about. So, um, end of days for David De Gea, I do believe. And I think that 
you know, I don't know if he'll trigger, they'll trigger the contract for maybe one more year just to keep him and then let him go on a free. I don't know. Maybe that's what they'll do long term. Or as you said, you could just let him go, take that wage back, let him go on a free transfer at the end of the season. Big hugs, big cuddles. Thank you very much. Legend of the football club. David Hale will be remembered very fondly by Man United fans. It is a natural end to the story. I just have to go back to before you started speaking, Rob. The maths has really annoyed me six years ago. <laughs> six six years. years ago. Possibly yeah. seven years ago. We'll see. Football changed six years ago. Like Liverpool and, and, and City, their evolutions were rebooted six years ago. I always use that, that time frame of the last six years. What has everyone done in that six-year period? that they changed the game. Liverpool and City, unfortunately, changed the game in this country. What have United done in that six years? Nothing. Zero. They didn't, they did nothing. They didn't respond. It's only now we're starting to see stuff that maybe United should have done six years ago with a coach, but they didn't do that. They, they went regressive. They went with Mourinho. They thought they could compete that way, but you can't. The modern game is about modern footballers, and people hate that term, modern, but the game did change, and it was down to Guardiola and Klopp in this country. Yes, United need to follow that path. I think next summer especially will be we can see that we can see the little areas in this team that need tweaking. Obviously, we're not halfway through Ten Hogs. We're probably a third of the way through like Ten Hogs evolution, I would say, with in terms of the players that he's already brought in. But there's a goalkeeper, there's a new central midfielder, they need a new right back, they, they obviously need a striker, and they need to sort out the squad depth as well. So there's going to be players who leave on free transfers at the end of the contracts, but this is going to take another two summers, probably. Definitely. And this is these are logical steps to take. But let us know. It's 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 12 months. I will say so I think it always takes a year to introduce a philosophy, implement a philosophy, and change everything around the football club to make sure that philosophy is successful. It takes 12 months. So United are on this journey, like we're a few months in now, aren't we? And like you say now, I I I think that all the stuff we're seeing is is massively positive. You know, we're seeing players respond to the challenge and then maybe other players who are older or whatnot, not quite being able to do it. This is why there's big question marks even on people like Bruno Fernandes. You have to say to Bruno, this is the standard that I want and this is what you have to do every game. But, you know, come along for the journey or don't, one or the other, prove it. Garnacho last night shows that I think he can be part of this, this project. Jaden Sancho, jury's out. You know, I think you have to, you have to be better, don't you? So I think the Ten Hag is dragging United in the right direction. And I think the philosophy is an entertaining one as well. I think we're, we're seeing these games and going, yeah, I like this. This feels like what are the good teams play <laughs> rather than us just constantly fighting fire, trying to win football matches. United's next football match is against West Ham. And by the way, uh, if you uh, let us know what you think on the David De Gea situation, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU, and leave a comment on the YouTube video as well. If you feel strongly either way, whether you think De Gea should get a renewed deal, whether he should United should trigger his deal, or whether they should replace him and just be, let's be honest, completely cutthroat, because David De Gea is, he is a legend of Man United. He is a legend of this football club. And there are certainly people within the fan base who back him to the hilt and think that he should get a new deal based on what he's done in the past. I, for me, no room for sentiment. And that goes for De Gea, that goes for Ronaldo. They, they have to be, that this club has to move forward and get with the modern times. And they have not been with the modern times, but we're just now starting to see suggestions that they are patching up, you know, and Definitely. leave everything else behind. But anyway, uh, West Ham are the next team on the agenda for United. 
De Gea will play, obviously. Uh, Lisandro Martinez will play. Who partners uh, Lisandro Martinez is a question. Harry Maguire is back. But this is a game for United now. It's another tough game. West Ham winning on Thursday night as well. I think they've topped their group in the Conference League. Difficult one. Uh, United got over the line in the last minute against West Ham last season. Twice, actually. Uh, I was there in the London game where Jesse Lingard scored a very, very late winner. And obviously, I think Marcus Rashford, was it, who scored the the winner in the game at Old Trafford. And yeah, uh, United have a difficult one here, but this is a game, another good test. And they should really be aiming to win this to start aiming at that top four place. Because I think before the World Cup starts, they can be in the top four. Yeah, look, the, the the ambition is obviously there. And we said, didn't we, last week, that if uh, if United were just one or two points outside the top four going into the World Cup, that would be fine. You know, that's a successful recovery after the Brentford disaster. But looking at West Ham, I think they uh, uh, they flattered to deceive at the start of the season. You know, new players coming in, change the system, maybe moving away from Antonio as the starter, just, you know, probably now wanting to play a different style, looking at him, maybe looking at his fitness issues. But they've come into form and they're looking much more balanced under Moyes now. Bowen's coming back into form. That's a worry. Scamic is throwing at the top end of the pitch that he's a, a decent striker. Um, but I, I also think that kind of when you look at West Ham's weapons, that if United play again on the front foot and press and go up the pitch and do all the stuff that they do well, and they, they're consistent with that in this match, that they should feel that they could comfortably win this game. And that's the way it has to be, isn't it, Scott? You've got to have that mindset now, is that you don't particularly just worry about the opponent, that you worry about yourself, that you go and do your work and then make them respond to you. So I think with David Moyes, Moyes has been kind of uh, playing more of a 4-4-2 recently. Like David Moyes is as old school as old school gets, isn't he? It's like, you know, let's play 4-4-2 from 10 years ago. Yay. You know, we're talking about modern football here. Um but I, I think it's Bowen. I think you need to look after Bowen in this match because he's had a tough start to the season. And now, obviously, he's trying to get into that World Cup squad. And I think he's fallen away from that. You know, like someone like James Madison's value and stock has gone a lot higher than, say, someone like Bowen. So Bowen's coming to Old Trafford to perform. You know, he's got to show that, that he's just coming into form at the right time. Uh, it'll be a tough game for United. But again, it's a game you must win. You've got, you know, all these games are must-wins now, aren't they? If you want to have a a successful project, a healthy project, you've got to win home games against West Ham. Difficult one for United coming up, but obviously they are, I believe, I need to check the Premier League table. Where are they? Fifth or sixth in the league? I can't exactly remember. Uh, they are sixth in the league, but one point off the top four with a game in hand on Newcastle, who are fourth and could go level on points if they were to win their game in hand against Spurs as well. But Spurs, Spurs play Bournemouth. So I think this is a game where they just have to keep the momentum up and, you know, put themselves in a position where they can capitalise. Because I think next weekend, Tottenham play Liverpool, Chelsea play Arsenal. Yeah, I think a little bit of prediction as well. Like, Anthony Martial is nearly fit, but not quite. He's been so, nearly um, fit for about four weeks. Yeah, and that's always a problem, isn't it? Like, I do think that they're stage managing him a little bit now because they, they've realised that that some of the knocks he's getting are repetitive and they need to look after him. So I think you're going to see that he might be on the bench for this game. And I think we will see Marcus Rashford as the nine. I think Rashford will go back up to the top end of the pitch. I think obviously Anthony will start again. You said they think Sancho start. I don't think he will. I I, I think that if there is the option here now 
that you kind of repeat what you did in the Europa League, that if Ronaldo does get more minutes, that Ronaldo starts with Rashford behind him and you play that kind of system. Because I think Sancho is just unreliable at the moment. So I don't know. I don't believe Garnacho will start, but I think, I think Sancho can only be falling out of favour, Scott. Like when you're looking at his performances, they're not good. They're, he's too slow at the moment. He doesn't move the ball and he looks like he's losing confidence. So you can't afford to play Jaden Sancho into form. That's the problem. You can't go, well, let's see what happens against a team like West Ham because they'll punish you, won't they? I think Sancho might come off the bench uh, and we see Marcus kind of take that central berth and maybe surprise of Ronaldo starting, maybe starting and coming off earlier rather than um, coming on later on in the game if you're trying to win it later. Uh, but it's just the balance of, of not having that number nine. Let's see what happens with Martial because if he is available off the bench, you know he's definitely coming off the bench at some point. So you can kind of, factor that into the to the starting lineup. Uh, and Jaden Sancho's got a battle now. He's got a battle on his hands on that left-hand side because he's falling down to think that like Bruno went into the wide areas last night and you might see Bruno Fernandes play more as a wide player and maybe Ericsson pushing up and McTominay coming in then to a defensive function with Casemiro. You could see all of those changes happening in the Rubik's Cube rather than just say United being stuck with one or two options pushing Jaden Sancho onto the football pitch when he's not ready to play. Let us know what you think United should do with their team at West Ham. They play on Sunday afternoon, I believe. And then United play Real Sociedad away for a chance to top the group in the Europa League and avoid a last 32 game against the Champions League dropout, which could range from Barcelona to Atletico Madrid to Potentially, I think Maccabi Haifa could even get in ahead of Juventus, but we will see. Uh, United have some work to do, but at least they're moving in the right direction as it stands. So we'll we'll uh, we'll move on, and we'll wrap up the show as soon as Rob. If you have anything else to share, please do so. No, I'm a little bit worried about West Ham. Like I do think that they're coming into form at the wrong times for us, for United fans. Um, but I'll be there, obviously, at Old Trafford. It's it's. It, it all feels good still. Like, I hate saying it at the end of the game because I'm gonna get I'm gonna get stumped, aren't I? We're gonna come into a next game and go, oh look, we got hammered by West Ham, and here we are. That's always the way with fandom, isn't it? But I just feel really good that again, when you watch that game last night in the Europa League, you know, a game that could have been potentially very boring, very uninteresting, that Ten Hag did some interesting stuff, and Man United stage managed it perfectly as a team. And they're the things that we just didn't see in recent times, in recent years. A Solskjaer team, I think, would have struggled in that scenario um, and not been able to kind of figure out how to win the game comfortably. I think United did win that game comfortably last night. And a lot of players got their moment, got their goal, and that will help their confidence. Yes, indeed. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods. Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. And watch us on YouTube as well twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. We crop up. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment and join the community with us as well. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. Rob, thank you very much for another episode of The Promise. And we'll be back on Tuesday to uh, unpack whatever happens in the West Ham game, talk some transfers probably as well as the World Cup is coming. And that means the transfer window is not far behind it as well. Rob, thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll catch you very soon.